We begin this new sermon series today called Core, looking at our core values, what makes us uh, a family together. Now, I'm going to take a moment here to give you a chance to get a little rowdy. I know football season is just around the corner, and uh, are there any Gamecock fans in the house? So I got to ask the question, are there any, any Clemson people in the house? Now, you know, the Clemson people are a lot louder uh, in the uh, 9 o'clock church they were in, in, in the, the, than the Gamecock fans. And I'm guessing because, I don't know, I, I'm not going to go there. But anyway, uh, <laughs> let me just ask this question. How many, how many Kentucky fans in the house? <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. I had two people at, uh, at the 9 o'clock service. That's kind of how my son Aaron felt in the seventh grade. Whenever, you know, I have to confess, I, I brainwashed him into being a Kentucky fan. And uh, I don't think I did much damage to him, but, uh, but he did have a rough time in middle school, especially when he would wear his Kentucky blue uh, or go to uh, williams Bryce uh, during a Kentucky game. And it was usually, usually pretty painful. Uh, I do remember one, one game, though, whenever uh, Mo Williams, you know, I won't go over there. But anyway, uh, there was a time, but, but I never forget the time that I took Aaron on his first uh, road trip to Lexington, Kentucky, to see the Wildcats play at uh, Commonwealth Stadium. He had never, never been in a place where uh, he was home. And as, we, as he turned a corner there, walking to the stadium, and he saw, for the first time in his life, a sea of blue. I saw a smile come over his face, and he knew that he was home. He was home. You know, there's a difference between a crowd and a community. A crowd gathers together because there's a bunch of people coming together to do something that they think is important. And a crowd can get scary. A crowd can get out of control. It can be a mob scene. We've seen that kind of happen around the country uh, in the last months. Um, a community is different. It can be a crowd, but, but a community has a soul and has, has a passion and ideas that are similar. It's a family and I know you Gamecock fans, you get to get Wings Bryce, you feel like this is our family. We're getting together to, to root on the Gamecocks or at Tiger Stadium uh, there up in Clemson or wherever it might be that you're coming together. Well, Mount Horeb, we're much more than a crowd. We're a community of faith. And we got a lot of members here, a lot of people attend here, but we're not a crowd. We're a community of faith. You know, Jesus loves a crowd. Uh, he preached to crowds, over 5,000 in one setting. But then he moved the crowd into community, into groups of people that could communicate values. You know, our family here at Mount Horb is defined by our love for Jesus, our love for each other, and our love for seeing the world change to be a better place. We do life together so we can become more like Jesus. So we got together and prayerfully worked on identifying eight core values. Well, what are the eight core values? It turned out to be eight, but what are the core values that defines this ministry at Mount Horeb? So we're going to preach this sermon series over the next eight weeks, uh, identifying those core values. Let me, let me give you a definition to a core value. It declares who we are and brings clarity to the things that matter most at Mount Horeb. That's our core values. And I believe that core values will guide us uh, they're guiding principles that help us declare who we are, but also guide us in our ministry uh, distinctives. Uh, core values will generate a strategic plan 
for what's next. What does God want us to do next in this community, in the Midlands, in, in the state, in the country, in the world? Core values also serve as guardrails that, that keep us on the path, help us not to stray from our calling. Uh, and again, it's, it's, um, it's one thing to have core values that you identify, but if you never live into those core values or if you stray away from those core values, then they're not going to do you a lot of good. I love what Andy Stanley said about core values. He says, is the statement on your wall happening down the hall? You know, are we putting these into practice day in and day out? And then most importantly, core values are grounded in Scripture. They're grounded in Scripture. That is the true test of our core values. And the statement itself might not be found in Scripture, but it is never contradicts Scripture. Kind of like when we share together in the Apostles' Creed. It's an affirmation of what we believe. And you may not find word for word the Apostles' Creed in Scripture, but the Apostles' Creed or any creeds that we have in the church never contradict uh, the Scriptures. And so we believe that our core values, we've vetted them with Scripture. And if they're not biblical, they don't need to be our core values. Can I get a second to that? Okay, that's very important. So I get to preach today what I believe is our most important core value, and that is Jesus first, Jesus always. Say it with me. Jesus first, Jesus always. So when somebody asks you what Mount Horn believes, what do they do down there? Well, they believe that Jesus is first, Jesus always. I'm going to try to define that for you this morning as we defined it ourselves. I'm going to read this to you. I think it'll be on the screens. We are convinced all things find their true meaning in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us who God is, at the same time, who we're meant to be. He has the last word and the final say about who we understand ourselves to be and how we live our lives. We believe the greatest thing we can do for the world is lift Jesus up in worship and invite people into a saving relationship with Him. Jesus first, Jesus always. Now, the New Testament, the Gospels are all about Jesus. The epistles are all about Jesus. The book of Revelation is about Jesus' triumphant return. But I believe the most powerful statement about Jesus in all the New Testament is found in the passage that Melanie read for you. And I'd like for us to, to do something we don't typically do in contemporary worship. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to ask us to read together this passage of Scripture from Colossians chapter 1. It is such a powerful statement about what the Bible says about Jesus, who he is and what he has come to do. So if you'll join with me, please, starting with verse 15. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Let me finish reading. Well, there we go. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Father God, I pray that as your people here at Mount Horeb, 
that we will make Jesus Christ supreme in this church, but as your church, as your people, that we will make Jesus Christ supreme in our lives. And Father God, help us to allow your Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, examine our minds, and see where our priorities are, see what is really first in our lives. And God, speak to us today now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Jesus first. What you read there, we read together, was really a hymn that the Apostle Paul wrote about Jesus and his supremacy. Paul is worshiping here in this text. He's declaring that Jesus is preeminent in creation and as a redeemer. Preeminent in creation as a redeemer. Now, we don't use the word preeminent much. So I looked up the definition of preeminence. Uh, say that with me, preeminence. Yeah, I won't ask you to spell it because I had to look it up. A preeminence. But the definition is surpassing all others. Superiority. The worship team sang it, no rival. Jesus Christ has no rival. He is supreme over everything. So while Paul was singing this hymn, let me give you a little background. He's writing this to worship Jesus, but he's also addressing a heresy that has taken place in the town of Colossae, a heresy that's been promoted by a, a group of people called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics uh, in Paul's time believed that Jesus was created by God like an angel or a, a man or a woman created by God, and that Jesus was not enough for salvation. He was a good man. He was a great teacher, but he was not enough. And Paul was saying, you're wrong. Jesus is everything. Jesus is supreme. Now, we live in a world today where, a culture today, where I would say that most people in our culture, in our country, in, in, in the world would say that Jesus is a good man, that Jesus said some really good things, that, hey, we should love everybody. But there's a lot of people that don't believe that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus Christ is supreme, that Jesus Christ holds all things together. But we believe that, and we don't make any apologies for that. We believe that Jesus said clearly, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. That Jesus is not one of many ways to God. We believe that Jesus is the way to come to God. Doesn't mean we condemn other religions or condemn other people. We just love them and demonstrate to them the love of God, the love of Jesus. And we share with them unashamedly what we believe as Christians, that Jesus is supreme. Now, this is not my idea. This is not a Methodist idea. This is a biblical idea. The Bible clearly states here in Colossians who Jesus is. Jesus first. And Paul wants to make it clear. There should be no confusion about the role of Jesus in the world. There should be no confusion about Jesus and his church. And these verses declare the absolute authority of Jesus Christ. Authority that's not shared with any other person any other government, any other entity, any angel, or any demon. Again, the worship team sang it for us. Jesus has no equal. 
no rival. So we believe that Jesus is first over all things. God's Word says that He is the creator of all. Now, how about that eclipse? You may, you may see the eclipse. You heard about it, right? How many of y'all saw the eclipse? Like 101% of you saw the eclipse. Uh, nobody missed the eclipse. And while we were all impressed with the eclipse, and it was pretty magnificent, let's not forget who made the eclipse, right? It wasn't something we thought up. <laughs> it wasn't something that NASA thought of. This is a part of God's original creation shaped by the very hands of Jesus. Now, we oftentimes really struggle with this temptation. We live in a beautiful community, surrounded by a beautiful lake. We got to experience a beautiful eclipse. If we're not careful, we start worshiping the creation and not the creator. And that's one of the main sins that you and I struggle with, is we worship creation over the creator. You know, we were all impressed on how accurate the scientists were, right? Tracking the eclipse. I mean, they had it down to the second, right? I mean, to the second, it, 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 it all unfolded. But remember this, as good as they were at tracking the eclipse, they can't duplicate it. <laughs> they can't make it happen. It's, it's, it's truly a marvelous expression of God's creative power. And don't you know that if we were in charge of the eclipse, that sooner or later, the moon would run into the sun and it would just happen, right? It would just, it would just, we would totally mess it up because that's what humans do. We mess things up. But it's truly amazing uh, what happened there. You know, and just how many of you experienced this just before totality, that everything got really quiet? You, and, you, know, and you, know, you know why that was? Because millions of people for the first time in, in maybe months and years were not looking down. <laughs> millions of people were looking up, and they were focused up, and they were quiet. We were quiet, waiting for the moment to happen. And, and that's what the psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. If you'll just get quiet and get still and focus on the creator, instead of being so focused on the creation, we can really experience the power of God in our lives. Jesus is not only creator, he's also sustainer. He's the one that keeps all this going. Now, I don't have all the exact numbers, but I believe something like this, that um, the next eclipse in Lexington in the Midlands in this 70-mile path uh, that ended in Charleston will happen in like 400 years. So something like that. It's, I read that somewhere. But did you know that every 18 months, there is a total eclipse somewhere in the world? Every 18 months. And there are some crazy people that travel to all those places. I'm sorry. If I, if, if, I'm sorry to offend anybody here today. But, uh, uh, but uh, you know, I I've seen it. I've seen it. It was amazing. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need to go anywhere else now to see another total eclipse. Uh, I was just glad that I didn't get blinded by it. But, uh, uh, but, this, but who holds it all together? Uh, you know, he's, he, God is a sustainer. I love Constable's de, uh, comment on Colossians. I'm going to read it to you. He says, every law of science and of nature is in fact an expression of the thought of God. Isn't that a great statement? 
every law of science and of nature is in fact an expression of the thought of God. It is by these laws and therefore by the mind of God that the universe hangs together and does not disintegrate into chaos. It is God's divine control that keeps this universe from disintegrating into chaos. Now, I would ask you this morning that if this God can do something so amazing in the creation, why do you think he can't direct your life? Why do you think that he can't give you some guidance? Why do you think that you've got it all figured out? The reality is the one who made you, the one who shaped you, can give you direction, guidance, and can sustain your life. I'm glad that God put within all of us the desire and the ability to enjoy the beauty of creation. I mean, I love being out in nature. It's, my, it's where I really get close to God when I'm out there in nature. But our greatest need is not to be inspired by beauty and the greatness of creation. That's not our greatest need. Millions and millions and millions of people thought that, that, they were, that their greatest need in their life was to see a total eclipse. And so they traveled all over the U.S. to do that. But that's not our greatest need, folks. We can enjoy it. We can appreciate it. But it's not our greatest need. I love what somebody wrote. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a savior. That is our greatest need. That Jesus Christ chose to enter his own creation. The creator chose to enter his own creation. God became flesh in Jesus, taken on a body to reveal to us the invisible God. It says here that the, that the visible Christ showed us the invisible God, also showed us who we're meant to be, that Jesus demonstrated on the earth who you and I are supposed to become. He experienced suffering and death and resurrection so he could meet our greatest need to forgive our sins so that, listen to this, so we could truly enjoy the one who created everything. That, that, that God wants us to be in a relationship with him so we can truly enjoy the creation. See, I don't think you and I can truly enjoy the creation until we know the creator. We can't truly appreciate the eclipse until we know the one who created the eclipse. Jesus Christ, God's son, is a source of great power. I love this verse, again, that Paul goes on to say, for God in all of his fullness was pleased, listen to this, pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's God's plan for you, for this world. That's why we come together uh, and, and celebrate Holy Communion to remind us that this blood, this cup, God sent into the world, Jesus' life was taken so that our sins could be forgiven. We celebrate that. We remember that. We celebrate on Easter that on the third day, Jesus' body was resurrected 
so we could have hope in the midst of suffering and death. Out of this reconciliation that God has brought to us through Jesus Christ, Jesus created the church. Again, the church is not our idea. It's Jesus' idea. And Jesus is first over the church, it says in Colossians. He created the church so we could demonstrate his love and character. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we think that the, that the church is all about us coming together and feeling good together and worshiping together and, and being in fellowship together and, and, and having small group together, which is all good. That's, 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 that's a great amenity of the church. But the real purpose of the church is for us to demonstrate the character and love of Jesus. And whenever the church doesn't demonstrate the character and love of Jesus, the world gets turned off. You know, the world could care less whether we're in small groups or not. The world could care less whether we are eating together and fellowshipping together or worshiping together. They could care less. But what they do care about is, are we demonstrating the love and character of Jesus? And guess what? They're watching. They're watching to see if a core value in our life truly is Jesus Christ. Do we just say something on Sunday and the rest of our life, rest of our week doesn't look anything like Jesus? If that's the case, Jesus is not first in our lives and, in, in, and through the church. There, there's a great responsibility. So we also have this calling to demonstrate his love and character and continue his ministry. And Jesus defined his ministry real, real clearly in Luke 4. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim to the captives that will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free. See, our mission is pretty clear. Jesus is first. And Jesus has the final say over all things. I want you to hear that. Jesus has the final say over all things. I was talking to a close friend last night in Kentucky whose wife died suddenly last week of a heart attack. They were right in the middle of retirement and enjoying uh, 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 this end of their life together. And, uh, and she, she just, I mean, suddenly died. No, no condition. She just died. And, and uh, Tom is maybe listening today and our prayers are with him. And, uh, but we talked last night about Colossians. We talked about this passage that, 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 that Jesus has this in his hands, that Jesus Christ has the final say. And that, that he's holding all things together. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. That gives us great comfort. And even in the midst of a sudden death, we can know that this creator has the final say over all things. And, and you and I don't have the final say. How many of you all, and I'm bad about this sometimes, how many of you in an argument have to have the final say, Right? All right, don't raise your hand. Somebody's punching you right now, right? So maybe somebody, got to have the final say, you know, let it go. Let, you know, I, I, I can tell you the times the, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear, let it go, let it go, just let it go. No, I got to say the last word, you know. Uh, we do not have the last word. Jesus Christ has the last word. And when Jesus is first at Mount Horeb, What's the two greatest things we can do? Now, there's all kinds of great things we can do. What's the two greatest things we can do? Number one, I think, is make Jesus preeminent in worship. That Jesus is preeminent in our worship. And again, what an amazing worship team we have over here in this auditorium. 
And today they, they, they focus us, as they do every weekend, that Jesus Christ is the focus of our worship. I shared in a meeting on Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, this past Sunday night, that, that Mount Hope is committed to excellence in worship, in worship that lifts up Jesus Christ. Now, different styles of worship, but the same message. Maybe traditional over there, maybe contemporary over here, but the message is always going to be Jesus. Amen? Can I get a second on that? Okay, I'll speak to you a little longer if I can get a second on it. Okay. So I want you all to be committed to that as well. You know, our, our, and we're committed to both contemporary and traditional. Traditional is our roots. It's where we got started. It's where we got formed. I remember still that scary day the first time we had a, a praise band. I remember how scared I was because uh, the drums were really loud. And, and we actually went back and listened to some of that. It was not very good. Uh, and... Uh, uh, we've gotten so much better. Now, those were, those were, they were great people, but uh, I wasn't a very good preacher back then either. So, you know, we've all tried to get better at what we do. But God has blessed this contemporary service, has He not? I mean, it's grown tremendously. I'm thankful that, that this church had the vision to build a room like this so we can continue to impact this community with great worship that makes Jesus Christ preeminent. But we're also going to continue to do great worship in the sanctuary and let God move in mighty ways there as well. Uh, Trevor mentioned to you, Zach Williams, September 24th, one of the best young artists in the country. And we want to continue to bring in the best artists we can who lift up Jesus. Last fall, Jeremy Camp was in this room lifting up Jesus. Powerful concert. So support those ministries. And let me just say a, a plug here, again, not just for our worship team, but for our production team. Now, in this room here, it takes a lot of volunteers to make production happen whether it's running cameras or, or doing PowerPoint stuff or just incredible amount of stuff, people that tell me where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be, hand me a microphone, whatever it is. And let me just say, they need some more volunteers. And if you, are, if you want to be a part of lifting Jesus up, making Jesus preeminent in worship, then, then get touch base with Grace Marie. I want her to be overwhelmed after this weekend because she has more people than you know what to do with. And, and maybe you don't know how to do anything. Uh, they might be able to teach you. I can't promise you that, but they might be able to teach you uh, how to do that. And just like the, a couple weeks ago, uh, the praise, the worship team got together and had a, had a music camp, uh, raising up young new music, magi, ma, musicians, musicians, not magicians, musicians who can uh, say that three times really fast. Uh, but, but we're shaping the future here. I, I want to, one of my goals has always been for this service, this, this style of worship, is for us to raise up the next Jeremy Camp at Mount Horeb to raise up the next Zach Williams who will come out of Mount Horeb, who will launch and they'll go out into the world and lift up Jesus and occasionally come back and lead us in worship here. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Let's pray about that. But let's make Jesus Christ supreme. The second great thing we can do is invite people into a saving relationship with Jesus. People need Jesus. And Jesus sends us out to invite people to experience only what he, only he can do, which is change lives. So our mission is clear. Uh, Mount Horb is not here to make Methodists. Mount Horb is here to make disciples of Jesus. Can I get a second to that? I mean, we're not about making Methodists here. We're about making disciples of Jesus. In fact, this afternoon at 3 o'clock, we have a new member class. You're welcome to come if you want to know more about Mount Horb, want to become a member. But if you've been through a new member class, you know the very first thing I do in that class is not talk about Methodists, is not talk about Mount Horb, but to share the plan of salvation. So that if anyone is not a believer in Jesus, have never received Jesus into their heart, they would do so. Because that is the most important decision you will ever make in your life.
not becoming a member of Mount Horeb, not becoming a Methodist, but becoming a disciple, a believer in Jesus. We'll talk about that this afternoon at three o'clock. Now, I love Mount Horeb and you love Mount Horeb and I'm gonna just step on your toes here a minute. Let me ask you a question. As you go out into the community and people ask you, where do you go to church? How often do you, do you start talking about Mount Horeb? And how little in the conversation does Jesus enter the conversation? You see, we've got to move from talking about Mount Horeb to talking about Jesus. Amen? Because it is not about Mount Horeb. It is not about the Methodist church. It is about Jesus Christ. And some of you have done this. I know you have, and I appreciate you doing this. You invite people to come uh, so that I can talk to them about Jesus. Uh, or so Trevor can talk to him about Jesus. But the reality is, is God wants you to talk to him about Jesus. They need to see that Jesus is real in your life, that Jesus is first in your life to talk about him. Jesus first, Jesus always. A great verse of scripture out of Proverbs says, if you want favor with both God and man and a reputation for good judgment and common sense, then trust the Lord completely don't ever trust yourself. Say these words with me. In everything you do, put God first, and he will direct and crown your efforts with success. Put God first. I love what Wade said to you earlier in the video in telling his story, that, that Jesus Christ wants to be a, a part of your entire life. There's no such thing as I'm just a businessman or I'm just a teacher or I'm just a stay-at-home mom, or I'm just an accountant, or I'm just whatever. No, we are disciples of Jesus who are in the marketplace. We are disciples of Jesus who are, own a business. We are disciples of Jesus who, who are strategically placed in schools to be teachers. We are disciples of Jesus who are students. Let's never forget that if Jesus is first, he shapes every part of our life. Too oftentimes we treat Jesus like a flu shot. You know, the flu shot, you get just a little bit of the flu, but not enough to make you sick. Might make you a little bit uncomfortable, might make, give you a headache, might make your arm hurt, but uh, not enough to make you sick. When Jesus is first, he, he, he takes over our lives. He moves in our lives. You see, we want Jesus to bless our biggest dreams. How many of you have asked Jesus to bless your biggest dreams? Lord, just bless my dream. This is my dream. I've always wanted to do this. Would you bless my dream? I'd ask you, is Jesus your biggest dream? Do you want Jesus Christ to be your biggest dream? That when you stand before Jesus one day at the end of your life, before him and hear these words, well done, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You made Jesus your priority in your life. Jesus wants to give you meaning, but he also wants to give you a mission. And your mission may be in the marketplace or your mission may be in the school, but you have a mission to lift up Jesus. So I want to give you this real simple acrostic about how we can make Jesus first in our lives always. Now, this is, I think, a Rick a Warren acrostic, but uh, it, it works well. It's a starting place. It's not everything. But how do you spell first? Well, let's start with finances. Let's just start with the most difficult thing we have in our lives in making Jesus first. Jesus said, where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. 
God has blessed you richly, blessed me richly, blessed us richly, so we can make a difference in this world. Finances. Number two is interest. Do we honor God with our pursuits, our hobbies? Do we bring him glory with our interest? Number three is relationships. Do I, am I putting Jesus Christ first in my relationships? Do I pursue him as much as I, as I pursue the relationships in my life? Make him first in your family. The S is schedules. That's a hard one, isn't it? Is Jesus first in my calendar? Do I start my day with him? Do I end my day with him? Do I take time to talk to him during the day? Do, do I realize that on my calendar is, is I'm on a mission for Jesus? That the people I encounter that Jesus put into my life, in my path for a reason. Now, it may be an act of kindness. It may be a cup of cold water. It may be a pat on the back. It may be a word of encouragement. It may be a testimony. Your schedule. And then last of all, your trouble. Will you put Jesus first in your trouble? Will you use prayer as a first choice or will you make it a last resort? in your trouble. I would ask you this morning, is it worth it to put Jesus first? Let me ask you again, is it worth it to put Jesus first? See, these children get that on the front row. That's great. It is worth it. Is it, is it easy? <laughs> it's not very easy, is it? Sometimes it can be the easiest thing here at church to say, I want Jesus to be first. But on Tuesday, Whenever things are going crazy and chaotic, it's hard sometimes to put Jesus first. Let's own that, right? It is hard to put Jesus first in my life. And here's the key. It needs to be a process. It needs to be a, it need, there's, there's something we do every day. Every day we get out of bed and we get up in the morning and we say, okay, today, today, Jesus, I'm going to put you first. When we get to lunch, I'm starting to fade here on this. All right, Jesus, I need to put you first today, the rest of the day. I got through the morning first, the rest of the day first. That's why Jesus said, Take up your cross daily and decide to follow me. It's a, it's a process. We as Methodists like to call that sanctification. And finally this morning, I would say that Jesus holds all things together. He holds all things together. Hebrews says that he uses his powerful word to hold all things together. You know, Stanford University is the site of a linear accelerator. Now, I don't really know what that is, but it's a great story. But I looked it up. A linear accelerator is a two-mile-long atom smasher. It's this great lever with which scientists try to pry the lid off the secrets of matter to understand the tiny world of an atom, a neutron, a proton. And what these scientists have discovered is there's this complexity. There is this uh, strange force that holds everything together. And, and they don't know what to call it. And so they call it like this cosmic glue that holds things together. Well, Paul described that glue in Colossians chapter one. And I believe we can give that glue a name. And that name is Jesus. Jesus holds things together. Have you ever heard of something called laminin? It's, it's, a, it's a protein cohesion molecule that holds our cells together in our bodies. In fact, if we didn't have it, our bodies would not survive. And, and, and here's a medical drawing of laminin. Pretty cool, huh? And you know, the, the molecules in our bodies are always changing and moving. 
But look at a uh, microscopic slide of laminin. It's what it looks like in our bodies. Now, someone said that all great artists, all great designers leave their mark. I believe that you and I are marked by the Creator. Now, whether he uses things like laminin or His Holy Spirit inside of us, we're marked. We belong to God. God loves us, and God has a plan for our lives. He holds everything together. And I'm guessing there may be somebody here today who feels like everything's falling apart, that you're coming apart at the seams. You remember that famous poem, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. There are people here today that feel like their life is all broken. And they've tried the king in the world. They tried the king's men and it's not working. There is one. His name is Jesus. I'd like to redefine that poem. Found it this week. Listen to this. If you find yourself broken at the foot of a wall, to the king of kings you should call. And just like Humpty Dumpty of old, Christ will come and make you whole. I believe that. And that's why our most important core value is Jesus. He is the answer to your problems. He's the answer to the world's problems. And we lift him up. Gracious God, I thank you that you have brought us here today. And I pray that if we're coming apart at the seams, that we would look to Jesus. We would invite him into our lives and ask him to forgive us of our sins. He's reconciled us. He's made us right through his blood shed on the cross. We can be right with you today, right relationship with you today. And you'll begin to put us back together, piece by piece. And Lord, you'd help us to order our lives so that you are first, not second, not third, not fourth, but first. And that we would demonstrate to the world your character and your love. So Lord, thank you that Jesus Christ is here in this room and that he wants to be the center of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's worship together this incredible song, Jesus at the Center.